I first wrote about this story in one of my books several years ago. It's simply the craziest story, the cast of characters in it, and the baffling circumstances that just seem to twist into ever more incomprehension. And it has become a bit of an obsession. What actually happened on a very innocent-seeming road trip back in 1994? It was late in the night when David Smith became separated from his friend, Heath Bullard. They'd been running frantically in blind panic in the dark, and when they reached a creek, Heath couldn't go any further. He couldn't swim. And maybe David didn't notice. But David plunged headlong into the water, and their separation for a descent into surreal horror began. It was August the 9th, 1994. It'd be some days before Heath and David would be reunited, but the space in between would see them changed beyond all recognition from their former selves. It had all begun when David Smith, aged 25, and Heath Bullard, 23, had set out on August the 8th, 1994, in a loaded pickup truck from their homes in Carbon County, Pennsylvania, on a road trip. They were bound for a Native American reservation in Arizona. David was a painter and Heath was a trainee teacher enrolled at Cutstown University and he was heading for Kayenta Indian Reservation in Monument Valley to take up a student teaching role. David was along for the ride and would fly back on the coming Friday to return to his job. What began as an innocent drive on the highway soon turned into something so surreal and inexplicable it's hard to fathom to this day. The Morning Call of Pennsylvania did a lot of reporting on what happened to them. It's really one of the only newspapers that kind of picked up on this story. Well, the Morning Call says, A convoy of 20 to 30 cars and tractor trailers began chasing the pair Tuesday as they drove through Arkansas on Interstate 40. Said Heath Bullard, I was going 75 to 80 miles an hour. It began, it would seem, when the boys picked up on one vehicle. We constantly had a car on us, said Heath. That was Tuesday, later afternoon. Bullard said he and Smith did nothing to provoke their pursuers. He said, I think it was the Pennsylvania tags, when asked what caused the pursuit. Heath's possessions were wrapped in plastic and packed in the bed of the pickup truck. He assumed cars following him were full of drug enforcement agents, who suspected, Heath believed, that he was transporting drugs. In fact, in recent correspondence between myself and Heath, he confirms this scenario and his opinion that he was being pursued by what he believed had to be the DEA. And yet also, at the same time, hot on their heels were a convoy of trucks and tractor trailers too. Heath claimed the license plates of these vehicles were Texas, Arkansas and Tennessee. In one of the morning call reports, they say their claimed encounter easily earns them the most bizarre experience award for 1994. It had all the elements of a made-for-TV thriller, abductions, imprisonment, 80-mile-an-hour chases by 30-vehicle convoys over the border, a chillingly detailed account ran yesterday, Smith and Bullard were kidnapped by dozens of people. But that's not the half of it, they said. Soon, one of Heath and David would be confronted with human heads hanging from a tree, and six months later, the Morning Call reported that Heath's stint in a mental hospital and therapy sessions have driven thoughts of suicide from his head. His fiancée, Stacey Elmore, had committed David to a mental health unit at Gnadden Houghton Hospital in Leighton, Pennsylvania, apparently because his behaviour had deteriorated since his ordeal last fall. When Heath and David had noticed that the car on the highway that previous August seemed to be following them, 
The pair, travelling cross-country in Ballard's pickup truck, also said that a convoy of 20 to 30 cars and tractor-trailers began chasing them too. The people chasing them, they said, were both men and women, also children, and black and white. Smith said he took pictures of some of the vehicles, but his camera, along with all of Bullard's possessions, were inside the truck, which wasn't recovered. This was at a time, said the morning call, when people in Arkansas are still reeling from the murders of three little boys and the conviction of two teens, at least one of whom was linked to a satanic cult. They're referring to the highly controversial case of the West Memphis Three. They say the triple murders of the eight-year-old boys occurred in 93 in West Memphis, which is separated by the Mississippi River. The alleged mastermind of the crimes, Damien Eccles, 19, was ordered executed for his role in the slayings. Well, of course, decades later, the West Memphis Three will be freed on an Orford appeal, with opinions highly divided on their continued guilt or complete innocence, although that the slaughtering of the little boys happened cannot be denied by whoever the perpetrator was. Meanwhile, back on the highway, disconcerted by what the two men believed were government agency employees following them, they said they pulled into a rest area. Said he, about 15 vehicles followed us. About five of them pretended to be working on a truck, but I could tell they were watching me. He called his attorney, Barry Shabbick of Palmerton, Pennsylvania, presumably by public phone in the rest area. He said Shabbick told him to confront these men, and he says he did. I said to them, this is against the law. They said they didn't know what I was talking about. Heath and David drove on into the tiny town of Prescott in Nevada County, Arkansas, where Heath said he talked to the sheriff about what was going on. You must be high, Heath claimed the sheriff's response was. Show us the ghosts that are following you. Heath pointed to a car parked across the street. The sheriff replied, the men in that car are locals, and told Heath and David to go away. Subsequently, after the end of the ordeal, which we're going to go into. The morning call contacted the county sheriff of Prescott, Ebb Norman, who laughed and denied it. Never heard of them. All this is news to me. I don't know one thing about it. Which might seem that he doth protest too much. When asked again six months later by the morning call, they reported Sheriff Ebb Norman denied during a telephone interview that the men had been to his office. Prescott is more than 260 miles from where Heath and David would eventually end up. They left Prescott and kept driving. On and on they drove until they came to the Texas border. They tried to enter Texas, but apparently, says Heath, three tractor trailers boxed us in and forced our pickup truck onto an exit ramp where a car was parked across the exit. We were trapped, said Heath, and they had no choice but to drive back into Arkansas. A little while later, they parked along the berm of the highway and popped the hood, pretending that they had engine trouble. An Arkansas state trooper spotted them and pulled over. He laughed, said Heath, and said he can't help us. The pair took off once more, still on Highway 40, this time crossing into Tennessee. They were now driving in the exact opposite direction to the one they needed to be heading in. They wound up more than 250 miles to the east of the boonies, north of Memphis, apparently still being chased by this crazed cult convoy of caravans, tractor-trailers and trucks. It was getting late now, and they were running out of gas, so they drove into the small town of Covington, Tennessee, northeast of Memphis, and about four hours from Prescott. They were looking for a gas station, but said they could not find one. Then things got strange again, said Heath. Two cars, they looked like cop cars, unmarked, chased us into a field. We don't have any mention of the tractor-trailers, so I'm not quite sure where they were at the time. But it sounds a little bit like a wrestling tag team. 
The boys' pickup truck got stuck in the mud in the field, and Heath and David took off on foot, running, leaving the truck and all their possessions behind. It was a wooded, swampy area. They ran into the woods until they reached a creek. David jumped in. Heath couldn't swim. We got to the creek, he said. I had no water. I started puking. Dave swam. I couldn't. I hid. The next thing was I was being chased in the swamp, and I had to take my shoes off. They were making too much noise. I was hiding. I was in the swamp the whole night and part of the next day. The sun rose. I had to get something to drink. I couldn't walk anymore. My stomach was cramping. Heath said he walked for miles and miles and miles until he came upon a farm. He said I sat in front of the house. No one came out. I wasn't sure who to trust. Then a woman came to the door, presumably from inside, and she offered him food and drink, a shower and a change of clothes. She let him call his grandfather in Ashfield, who wired money via Western Union. The woman then went to pick up the money, and she then had friends drive Heath to Memphis Airport, where he took a flight to Allentown Bethlehem Eastern Airport. It's so complex, said Heath Friday. Nobody wanted to help. Well, as for his friend David, he would be in the swamp much longer. There's slight confusion over the number of nights he spent in the swamp, but he was eventually taken to a hospital in Pennsylvania where he could barely speak above a whisper on the 13th of August. We do know that according to David, at one point he was floating down the creek clinging to two logs when he was shot out for sport. He was surrounded by a crazed group of people and he saw human heads in trees. Said the morning call, Smith said that he was pursued, captured, released and recaptured by a religious cult whose members included men, women and children, blacks and whites, all wearing two emblems, one emblazoned with an A, the other with a witch. He said that the members of this group were wearing two white patches on their shirts. He said he floated down a river on a log, refusing help offered by a man in a motorboat. He said he didn't know who to trust at this point. Smith said he was at one point surrounded by cult members. They surrounded him in a circle and he was forced to watch as they poured blood from sheep and pigs on a woolen blanket and rolled in the mess. He said he saw decomposing human heads hanging from trees. Later, he said, a woman gave him permission to hide in a shed on her property, then fired a gun at him. Eventually, he said he came upon a church near which were lighted poles from which emblems matching those worn by the people chasing him were posted. He said he stayed at the church for a while, thinking they wouldn't come looking for him there, then walked on, and at an estimated mile from the church he found a house, which he broke into. This was in Tipton County. Inside the house, he used the telephone to call his fiancée in Pennsylvania. He'd found the address of the house from some mail inside. His fiancée then called the Tipton County Sheriff's Department to summon help. Unfortunately for David, the house he'd broken into, unbeknown to him, was owned by a highway patrol officer. Both Highway Patrol and a Lieutenant John Fletcher of the Tipton County Sheriff's Department arrived at the house shortly after. David said, I sat in the house with a butcher knife. A policeman pulled up. And the morning call say, this was Lieutenant John Fletcher, who when called about this, laughed when asked about Smith's ordeal. Well, said David, the house I broke into was the house of a highway patrolman. I was taken to the police department. They shackled me and put me in a cell. They took me to a hospital. 
They had three psychiatrists look at me. They told me they were going to take me to a mental hospital. I was afraid to say too much because I think the police were involved. They gave me an IV in the hospital because I was dehydrated. A nurse gave me a phone and I called home. Relatives back in Pennsylvania phoned the woman that Heath Bullard identified as having helped him. And this lady showed up at the hospital and told the nurse she was his cousin. Wonder why she would do that. Anyway, he said, I was allowed to see her in a hallway. I pulled out the IV and put on the clothes she brought me. I had nothing with me. The lady took me to her house and hid me. And then she got me on a flight. I missed the flight and hid in the bathroom at the Memphis airport until later. A nurse in the hospital told me they actually use their own family members as sacrifices sometimes. Well, at the hospital, during his brief stay, his blood and urine were tested for drugs and alcohol. The test showed no traces of either substance. Oddly, the hospital later denied having had David there, and the sheriff, Sheriff Yoakum, would later say, tell them ten bucks a day for storage to get their abandoned pickup truck back. Smith said his vision is poor when he's not wearing corrective lenses, but he adds he said he could still tell The man by the car was holding a gun, so he dropped to his knees and dropped the knife. The man by the gun was Lieutenant Fletcher of the Tipton County Sheriff's Office and eventually David Smith would go on to be charged and extradited back to Tennessee, much against his will and with great fear. Well, David describes a little bit more about his time in the swamp, in the Lost Nights, events which include being shot at with paint pellets, hearing bird calls communicating with each other and seeing at least two separate groups chasing him and a man who tried to convince an eight-year-old boy to shoot him. He said for the first night, Tuesday, I hid in the water, under brush. I could hear them calling. They were using bird calls. The next morning, Wednesday, I got out of the swamp and they started shooting at me. I ran as long as I could until I fell over. I'd say I ran a mile and a half, maybe two miles. Then I came to another swamp and went in and they were still shooting at me. They were shooting me with paint pellets. I really couldn't tell how many there were. At the time, I saw maybe ten different people running through the woods. Then I went back in the swamp again and hid under brush. Then I was back on land, and they chased me around. They circled me, using the bird calls again. I ran into a man and a little boy. The boy was about eight years old, I suppose. He was part of the chase. The man gave the kid a gun. It was a rifle. As far as I know, there were shells in it. The man wanted the boy to shoot me. I said to the boy, I have a son about your age at home. How would you like it if I sent my son here to shoot your dad? The boy dropped the rifle and started to cry. I ran. The older man picked up the gun and fired at me. I got back into another creek, grabbed a log and floated. Then I got another log. I had one on each shoulder. They were shooting at me. I went around a bend. There was a guy in a motorboat and he asked if I needed help, but I didn't know who to trust. I went on, downstream further, and the logs got caught and I was back on land. I crawled into the woods and went under some brush and tried to sleep, but the bugs kept biting me. The next morning, Thursday, I jumped back into the creek again and nearly drowned. The people, they were the people who were chasing me, put out a tree branch and pulled me out. They were playing with me. They laid me down on the bank. I must have passed out. I woke up to more shots and started running again. They caught me. The people wore emblems, a big round circle with an A in the middle and a smaller circle with a witch under the big emblem. There were about 20 of them there. 
they had a big piece of wool like a blanket, and they were cutting up sheep and pigs and putting blood on the blanket. They surrounded me, circled, like they had me in an arena. They rolled around in the blood. I saw three heads. They were decomposed. They were human, hanging from a tree. I started running again. I ran into another creek, into a swamp. I was thirsty. I drank the swamp water. I think I started hallucinating. I thought I was home. I woke up again, and I went up a little stream that led to a bigger creek. It came to a drain pipe and crawled in to the other side. I heard a woman and child screaming. I started running through the fields. It got light out. Friday morning had arrived. I took a nap. Then when I woke up again, I came to a church. The emblems, like what the people wore, were on poles, lighted poles at the church. I stayed at the church for a while. I thought they wouldn't look for me there. Then I took off again, to a house. A woman there said, go hide in her shed. I did. Then she came after me with a gun. And Heath says that they were driving along Route 40, a major road recommended by the American Automobile Association. He believes what happened to them has happened to other out-of-state drivers. I wonder, he said, how many missing people were abducted. If no one was looking for a person, no one would ever know. Heath frequently cried in his interviews with the newspapers. While as for David, his girlfriend had him committed to a mental hospital when they got back to Pennsylvania. The investigation into what happened to the two young men was oddly conflicting afterwards. Lieutenant John Fletcher of the Tipton County Sheriff Department confirmed that Smith was safe when he was apprehended outside the police officer's house, but he snickered when told that Smith reported to his girlfriend he'd been kidnapped. As for Sheriff Yoakum, he said that he had found no other tyre marks that would indicate any other vehicles had been in that field, nor any tracks from people. The sheriff said it was so muddy, no other vehicles could have got down there. He also said that David Smith did not escape from a hospital. He was released. I don't know what he told you, he said. He has no earthly idea about this. He told the morning call, I can't figure a case that involves 30 vehicles at one time. It's unreasonable to believe a 30-car chase for that many miles. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Asked about the cult, he said, ain't nothing like that round here. That sounds kind of crazy. We've had a little touch of cults, just reports, you know, and gang stuff spray painting and stuff, but that's just crazy. Asked about David Smith's claim that a woman fired a gun at him, the sheriff laughed and said, sounds like a good move to me. He said it was not a call from Stacey Elmore, the fiancé of David Smith, that led to David being rescued from the policeman's house. He said, no, no, residents out there kept calling. They said there was someone around, something on the loose, something strange. I don't know anything about a fiancé. We had three or four different people who were talking about either seeing somebody or coming to their door or whatever. Lieutenant Fletcher finally found him while he was doing an area search. The hospital, meanwhile, said they had no record of David Smith ever being admitted. David Smith, of course, said he believed the police were involved in all of this from the beginning. But the sheriff did confirm parts of Heath and David's story, in that he said there was a church about one mile from the house David had broken into, However, he said, it's just a church. This is an extremely rural area. I don't know the denomination. It's a church that's predominantly black. It's just a little old small country church. Of their story about a crazed religious cult, he said, it's not plausible. Possible? Anything's possible. Still, it's not reasonable. And it's certainly not plausible. 
I hardly have any consideration for a claim in which these men say they were chased from Tennessee to Arkansas and back by thirty cars, and he said that no lucid person would tell such a tale. He believed that Heath and David probably misread the events and thought they were being chased, but added, I suspect there's more to this whole thing than we know at this point. Local, state and federal authorities, when the morning call tried to chase up on this story, really just added to the confusion. They said numerous telephone interviews revealed that apparently no one was looking into the matter. While Mark Roy, chief criminal investigator for Lauderdale County, did take things slightly more seriously, he said he was aware of the West Memphis Three, the triple murder. However, he said because of the ages of the people involved, and presumably he means in the West Memphis case, he said they're not going to have this kind of following, I don't imagine. In other words, I think he meant he did not think that a huge cult could span the breadth from West Memphis up to Lauderdale County, nor have sufficient members. He did, however, want to get the FBI involved. He told the morning call that he was trying to enlist the help of the FBI. He said he also needs Bullard and Smith on hand to point out the areas of the alleged incidents. He said Lauderdale County is nearly 500 square miles and he's the only investigator. He said, I'm sure I could come up with some sort of conclusion, but I need them to help me. I can't do an investigation if I don't have someone to take me to the crime scene. Well, things got progressively more muddy. Fletcher said that he was not investigating, then said he was, then said Allentown Office of the FBI was in charge, and Dennis Buckley of the FBI in Allentown said the investigation was in the hands of the state police at Bethlehem. State police at Bethlehem hadn't heard about the case. Meanwhile, area hospitals, the morning call reported, including Baptist Memorial Hospital in Tipton and Lauderdale Baptist in Ripley, has no record of a David Smith. And Covington Police said they had no record of either men. We know that someone did investigate, though, because David would find himself unable to fight an extradition eventually. Well, in the immediate aftermath of the rather traumatic road trip, when David arrived back in Allentown Bethlehem Eastern Airport on August the 13th, he was greeted by sobbing relatives and a wheelchair. David could not speak above a whisper and appeared dazed and confused. His exposed arms and legs were covered in scratches and cuts. He embraced his mother, fiancé and Bullard before leaving for Palmerton Hospital. Heath, who cried frequently during interviews yesterday and today, said that after hours of being chased by a group of cars and tractor trailers, he hid in a swamp. He said, I think it was a cult. He still wore the same muddy sneakers he'd worn in the swamp. Surprised he didn't change. The Pennsylvania newspaper reported Smith's fiancée, Stacey Elmore, said Smith called Thursday morning to report that he had fled his captors who left him unattended in a house in Covington. Smith has steadfastly maintained he did not make up his story. He said he was drug and alcohol free throughout the journey and was taking only over-the-counter caffeine pills to keep awake during the drive. When he returned from Tennessee, Sheriff Yoakum had said he would not face prosecution for breaking into the policeman's house. He'd also cut the phone wire. Yoakum said the more serious violation is the wild tale he told us. Nevertheless, in a secret grand jury indictment handed down later in November, Smith was charged with aggravated burglary and aggravated assault, even though he'd been in contact with the Tennessee authorities numerous times after the incident, and he was told that he was not facing charges. 
but now he was being listed as a fugitive and a governor's warrant had been issued. Then, in January 1995, six months after their ordeal in the swamps, Smith said that he vowed to kill himself if forced to go back to Tennessee. He said, I did nothing wrong. I wrote a letter to the policeman who owns the house and apologised. I told him I didn't want to interfere with his life and I offered to pay for the banana and cookies and milk and I didn't assault Lieutenant Fletcher. I called the police down there and I have the phone bills to prove it and they have my telephone number all along. Upon David's return to Pennsylvania, at first he just didn't want to talk about it. He said, I didn't say anything about it. I just wanted to forget it, but I couldn't. Things got bad. I was drinking a lot. Things got bad between me and Stacy. I just sort of exploded, but I did it the wrong way. His fiancée unfortunately had to have him committed to a mental hospital. Fast forward six months later in January, and David's worst nightmares come to life. The local paper said, as he left a hospital mental ward, David William Smith, the Carbon County man who said he was abducted by a southern cult last fall, was arrested on a warrant from Tennessee. Carbon County detective Joseph Pampanin had picked up Smith as he and Elmore walked out of the mental ward. When the call asked Tipson County why this was happening, the sheriff, Buddy Lewis, replied, there is such a thing as a secret indictment in the state of Tennessee. Asked if Smith's arrest had been done under a secret indictment, Lewis had then said, That's not what I said. Then hung up, says the morning call. David Smith's girlfriend said, He's a changed person since returning from Tennessee. He's just not the same anymore. He's angry. He wants to forget it ever happened. He just keeps saying, I can't go back there, I can't go back there. Taken to the office of District Justice Edward Lewis for arraignment, Smith lost it. His fiancée said, He banged his head on the table and said he would kill himself before going back there. Well, unfortunately for David, he was taken to Carbon County Prison, awaiting his extradition. In there, David said local ministers from several churches go in to see him. I never read the Bible before, but now I read it every day. His mother said, he seems like to be in shock. He just seems like he has blank stares in his eyes. He asked if I could help him. He said he couldn't go back down there. He said he'd kill himself. He said that four times. I do believe him. There's no reason for him to come back with a tale like this. He was absolutely not going to gain from something like this. What would he gain? He'd only be hurting himself and his friends and family. She said her son never revealed all the details of what happened to him in Tennessee. He's scared, she said. There's something that he saw. There's something wrong. He won't tell the whole thing. As far as Heath, he went through a lot, but not as much as David. He was a very strong person before. He could do anything. He always had a very good outlook. He could overcome anything. He was never afraid. Now, he seems so afraid, he seems so scared. There's something he's so afraid of, but I don't know what it is. In late March, after David had been held in prison in Carbon County for many weeks, he was finally taken back to Tennessee, although he was then released on bail. In May, David was taken back again to Tennessee. His lawyer managed to get a no-contest plea on reduced charges. David said, they should be investigating what happened to me, not what I did. And he added that his story did not differ to his best friend's account, despite the fact that they had been separated for much of their encounters with the cult. He said, if two people become paranoid or delirious or sleep deprived, you'll get two different stories. What we saw is what we saw. We did not misinterpret what went down. Well, in the end, David was acquitted of the assault charge and found guilty only of trespass, 
for which he was deemed to have already served his time in jail for. So he paid a small fine and was able to return home without going back to jail again. They still cannot believe what happened to them. They said they were looking for answers and that they'll keep looking until the mystery is solved. Heath said he plans to contact the federal government starting with US Representative Paul Kanjorski. I want someone to listen to this, said Heath. If it happened to us, it could happen to anybody. What David said he couldn't understand was why he had been investigated and charged when no one else was. Why was his story not taken seriously? Was he completely insane and his best friend also completely insane too? Why did they never change their story or drop it or admit having made it up? And he'd said all that time ago, who else has gone missing? Who else has this happened to?